60 songs that explain the 90s are back and in their final stretch. The Ringer's music critic Rob Harvilla curates and explores 60 iconic songs from the 90s that define the decade. Rob is joined by a variety of guests to break it all down as they turn back the clock. Check out 60 songs that explain the 90s exclusively on Spotify. up everybody we're back another week another episode of r2c2 how is my cc impression not great all right cc is off doing um important stuff this week uh so um you're stuck with me and my co-host for the day is one of my good friends an outstanding actor he also uh, has co-founded a production company that is uh, crushing it right now um, called Black Bar Mitzvah. Uh, he's uh, the one of the stars of Insecure on HBO, uh, playing the role of Lawrence. He is in the upcoming Top Gun movie as well. Uh, and there's a million credentials to his name. Um, a big-time sports fan as well, and, uh, and just a great dude. Uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, Nice enough to step in and co-host with me after what was maybe the most dramatic episode for his character uh, in the history of Insecure thus far. Uh, Lawrence went through it uh, this week. Uh, We are so pumped to have Jay Ellis on R2C2 joining us this week. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. Come (laughs) on, man. I've been dying. For six years, I've been begging you to put me on the show, Ryan. I, I called CC. I had to track him down. This, this is crazy, man. I, I Now I know where your producers live. So they, that's how I got on the show today. That's really that's, how I'm here. That's true. You now have contact information for Sadie Zillo and Bobby Wagner. And that's really key. I also love that. I mean, you're a professional actor, obviously. Um, and I, what I love is that I still... I. I I don't come in with the expectation of like you having equipment, you know, to record and stuff, even though like (laughs) you probably are using this equipment far more than I am. And so you have this beautiful like little booth set up, a real microphone. You're like, hey, you want me to send you the file afterwards? Producers dream rather than just recording through Zoom. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, Jay kind of does this for a living. So you you came ready to go, man. Listen, man, I aim to please, man. I'm just here to entertain. That's, you know, (laughs) I'm just here to entertain, man. Uh, Well, look. I I have a lot of questions about last night's episode of Insecure. And I have um I have also questions about Top Gun coming out, which you're uh gonna be uh in as well. Um but th- I wanna start here because you're a massive sports fan. I know this. Um and I know that sometimes when you are constantly you do a lot of interviews, right? You you go on late now, right. you do on whatever, you're always right. promoting the things that people know you for, right? You're, right, you're promoting right. Insecure, you're promoting Top Gun, whatever else you're, you're doing, right? I'm sure, though, there are times where you're like, man, I wish someone would just ask me this. Like, I, w- I wish I could just get to talk about this. Like, why doesn't, uh, like, I know, you know, like, I know James Corden isn't going to ask me about what I think about the Lakers right now, but gosh, I wish he would. So I want to give, since this is R2C2, Jay, I want to give you the floor first. What's something 
right now in the sports universe that's on your mind that you wish someone would give you the space to talk about and now I'm doing that for you. I mean, I mean I'm going to go straight there, man. I'm I'm going to talk about these Lakers first and foremost. Uh, you know, I I I mean you know this cuz we just I, I brought it up earlier, but I got to go watch them uh I was in Portland filming a movie and I watched them play against the Blazers uh Saturday night and the Blazers looked amazing. I mean they they really looked really looked good. Um, and that score reflected that, uh, but, uh, but I am, I am so, uh, optimistic and excited about these Lakers, but also probably the most terrified I have ever been about a team at the exact same time. Yeah. You know, that you know, that hope that you get when you're like, damn, this is a good squad. Like it's nothing going to get in the way. But when you have that like expectation, it's also like any and everything could get in the way. So you're literally, you're terrified all the time, right? Because yes. there's just no such thing as cruising. There's no such thing as like the 96, 97, 98 Bulls cruising. Like that right. just, I mean, I guess I guess there was, a, there was a moment where Golden State was cruising like that. But outside of that, like it just doesn't happen like that anymore. You know what I mean? So like I, I am, I am optimistic but i am cautiously optimistic i'm also a huge you know this but i'm also uh, a huge nets fan too so yeah uh, see? i'm very excited about what's happening over there also yeah. this is no disrespect but what's gonna happen with ben simmons man i have i have no idea and literally i was taught i'm in uh i'm in chicago and uh because i'm broadcasting nets bulls tonight i broadcasted nets raptors yesterday and I was talking with some of my my uh, just colleagues, um, Michael Grady, who's our sideline reporter, also does play by play for us, um, and then uh, a couple other people uh, who travel with the Nets. Not not front office members, just in case anybody hears this and says, <laughs> "Oh, the Nets front office members." No, not people who who would know this intel. We were just talking about like what happens with Ben, and I honestly, I I. I don't know because it's a very it's a very strange situation and you can put the nets with Kyrie in this in this yeah. camp as well where yeah. you have you have these dynamic stars who once they get on the floor and play have incredible value but the circumstances and uncertainty about them playing at all really change their value in the trade market right so normally like when the Nets go and and trade for James Harden last year, right? They're still having to give up everything it takes to get James Harden. James Harden, right? right. Same thing happened when the Lakers traded for AD a couple years ago, right? Even though right. those guys were forcing their ways out, you still had to give up all the assets to get them, right? Right. In this case, it's hard because you don't actually know if. Like you, you don't know if is Kyrie would Kyrie just like go anywhere? Or are there certain places where if you dealt him, he'd be like, nah, you know what? I'm going to sit out. He's a different dude, right? Right. Like you, right. You, you don't know with Ben Simmons, the same thing. Like if you're the Sixers, your best option is still to get Ben Simmons back on the floor for you. If you're the Nets, your best option is still to get Kyrie Irving back on the floor for you. Right. If you if you think there's a chance that can happen, you want to keep that fire alive. Because right. you're losing the trade when you deal them, right? No matter right. what, you're losing that trade. What makes it even harder, though, is because of the uncertainty around them, I, I don't think you're getting close to the value you normally the value. would. Yeah, so... Well, I mean, dude, I think in, I a, don't know. In, a, 
Kyrie situation, it feels like there's enough cities, there's enough teams that are in states that tend to lean a little uh, lenient uh, on on vax on COVID <laughs> on vax mandates. Yeah. yeah, it feels like you know there's some teams that. But to your point, will he go play for those teams? The right. the Simmons thing to me, man, is actually heartbreaking in a way where like I feel like I'm watching a guy ruin his career and he doesn't even realize that he's ruined his career or the folks around him at least are not like yo. We get it, but now this has gone on way too long. Because to your point, if I'm any other GM, yeah, are you gonna do this to me? Are mm-hmm. you gonna are we gonna get in an argument about something? Are you gonna have a bad playoff run and the city talks shit about you and then all of a sudden you just you don't want to play and you blame it on the team or you blame, you know what I mean? Like it's a scary thing, man. And I think we like as an artist, I think even, you know. I get in my own way sometimes. You know what I mean? So I can understand how at that level, especially with that kind of media scrutiny, you could be in your own way and not even realize it. You know, it's interesting you frame it like that, man, because I think about this sometimes because we all are replaceable, right? Right. And um, even if the skill you have is unique, right? And, and the talent is unique. And, and then the credentials and the experience with that makes you unique. You're still replaceable. And it's sort of mm-hmm. a fine line uh, because you want to get what you deserve or, or kind of find your path to happiness within these industries, but uh, also want to have some level of humility of knowing that at the end of the day, that machine keeps churning, whether you're a part of it or not. And I'm sure Ben Simmons is feeling that a little bit, seeing this team get off to an eight and two start without right. him, right? Right. Um, but that's why I think the way you framed it is perfect to me, man, because it's like you can you try to a point, right? Like you push it to a point. And then if it's not happening, like at some point you have to go be a professional, you know, like have at, to. Have to. Right. At some point, it's like, okay, you did everything you could to try and make this happen. But like you got to do it. I, I don't know what the equivalent would be for you, Jay. But maybe if it's like, if it's like, hey, all of a sudden you're in the middle of like, you know, shooting your show and and you're you're a breakout star in it, and you realize like, you know what, like I don't. Jay Ellis don't walk off set. Jay Ellis yeah. don't walk off set, exactly. Ryan. That's not exactly. what I. That's not what I do. That's just exactly. that's not my brand. That's not my brand. But um, <laughs> that's not my brand to act it. But I do yeah. understand. Listen, I've been frustrated at work before. And f- very fortunately, I will say, not at Insecure. Um, never was frustrated there in a way that I would ever even think about or contemplate, like, I want out or anything yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Um, if anything, I wanted more in. Um, yeah. But I, I, I understand there are situations where, you know, if you're dealing with toxic folks, you know, day to day going to work, or if the working conditions aren't what they should be for a given situation. Um, safety is obviously a huge thing in our industry when you're thinking about like stunts and, mm. you know, obviously what happened recently um, with Rust. Like, you know, when you're thinking there, there are situations where like sometimes, yeah, you do have to put your foot down and you got to sit down and as an actor and you got to be like, yo, or you stand up rather and be like, yo, like I'm not I'm not coming on set until or I'm not coming to work until or hopefully you don't have to get that far because you can have a conversation with the powers that be before And I will say, like, you know, we're fortunate. I'm fortunate that, like, you know, I'm in an industry where, like, a lot of folks listen and they want to do the right thing. So, Mm. and not to say that other industries don't, but but you typically can work out a solution so we don't have to get that far. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, to each their own, man. You know, again, and sometimes people just are going to make that decision. Some people just need an enemy. So some people just going to make that decision no matter what, <laughs> you know. Some people just I like, know. I'm not going. I'm it, not working today. But but you're right. But you, you're right in the sense of um, at the end of the day, you can't like I'm sensitive to like mental health. Right. I, I am right, totally sensitive right. to that. But you can't say like, hey, like I'm having some issues and then not take the help that the Sixers are offering. Right. Like because I think if Philadelphia is like, OK, look, you went through a lot. It probably didn't feel great to not be, you know, immediately, um, I guess, believed in afterwards after you lose by, you know, by your running mate, by your coach, whatever. It probably didn't feel good to be booed by the fans like yeah okay there's also a different level of scrutiny and attention in today's sports climate than ever before because of social media people have access to you you're reading things hearing things it used to be like oh did you see that column that what's his name wrote and it would happen you know once every one in a while now it's like did i check my mentions if i did i'm reading something nasty right and and so that does require you know i think a level of social media literacy that quite frankly just isn't being taught yet right um but then you have to use the tools. Like you can't pull that card and then not use the tools that the organization is offering you because now it just looks like you're trying to come up with a way to not be on the floor. To not, to not work. Yeah, exactly. To not work. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, uh, a good friend of mine, her name is, uh, Elaine Walter Roth, brilliant, brilliant woman. Uh, she posted something probably like a, probably close to a year ago now. And it said, you know, your trauma, is not your fault, but you're getting better is your responsibility. Mm. And like, to your point, like you can't necessarily control all of those things that are attacking your mental health and and like attacking your peace, but it is your responsibility to go either seek out uh, help or, you know, be responsive and engage with the help that and the resources that an organization is giving you. And really all this for me really boils down to LeBron, please hurry up and get healthy. (laughs) <laughs> I just want that stomach muscle to come together. I just so want you do, back on the court. So who do you, who Jay, who do you root for then ultimately? Like, did you, have you always been a Laker fan? Did you kind of adopt them as soon as you moved out to LA to begin your acting career? When, what, what you kind cause I know you, you play basketball in college. I, I know did. you, I, at Concordia, correct? At Concordia in Northeast Portland. And then I inter- I actually interned for the Trailblazers. Yeah, I don't but, know, have I ever told you this story? So, no, but what's funny is, even though we're good friends, I was looking up, uh, you know, doing a little extra prep, and I'm looking up just like your IMDB, and it says you interned for the Blazers, and I was like, wait, what? Jay <laughs> yeah. interned for the Blazers? How did I not know this? What was the internship? Yeah, I, w- I was in marketing and PR. Uh, nice. And it was a PR heavy season because it was the year they were dubbed the Jailblazers. Oh my! Mo gosh. Cheeks was our head coach. Okay. Uh, Damon Stoudemire, Ruben Patterson. Um, uh, who else was on that team? Um, Rasheed Wallace. With Bonzi um, Wells on that Bonzi team. Bonzi Wells was on that yeah. team. So I. So my. This is my senior year in school. Um, I come into this internship. I was probably really doing like two days a week. And bro, it was just a crazy, crazy season. <laughs> Poor Mo Cheeks, man. Like I know he's he just want to, he, he yeah. just want, yeah, he just want to coach some basketball, yeah. man. Like he didn't, oh, he didn't know this was coming. He didn't know he was gonna have to be doing all this. But uh, they were such, they were one of those teams. They were, I mean, they were all super gifted athletes, obviously, and, yeah. and gifted basketball players. And as a team, I think 
them gelling together was just they gelled together more off the court than they did on the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like their social social life, I think, together was better than their on the court life. And this was the year that Ruben Patterson also called himself the Kobe Stopper, which <laughs> I do have a a very strong issue with. Uh, and Kobe did as well. Um, rest <laughs> in peace. Um, but anyway, so I, I became a Blazers fan, you know, through that experience, and I'm forever grateful for that experience and to that organization. Chris McGowan actually just. That's how I got my tickets for the game last week. Oh, sick, um, man. So, you know, I, I am forever grateful to that organization because it's such a, a a spot in my life, a bright spot in my life to be able to, like, that's the closest I got to the NBA. I thought I could hoop. So, <laughs> you, you know, when you have dreams of, like, when I was a kid, I put, like, a $100 million contract from the Seattle Supersonics on my, like, refrigerator so I could see it every day. Did you the really? Closest, the closest I actually got was an unpaid intern in the PR department for the Portland <laughs> Trailblazers <laughs> during probably the worst PR season they ever had. Oh my um, gosh, that is hilarious. Did you yeah. think at that point you were going to work in sports? I wasn't sure, to be honest with you. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, I wanted the experience. Like, I wanted to know what it was like. I think I, I think I definitely thought like, you know, what's weird is, I, well, this is probably, this is probably slightly different for you because I, I know you and being a fan and a friend of yours, I know that like you literally like have sports inside your veins. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how that's, how, how that's possible, but like, you know, when you're a kid and you hear like the GM or the front office or all those things, like that means nothing because th th you can't contextualize what those jobs mean. You know what I mean? And so I think being able to intern for the Blazers was this moment for me to go, oh, this is what a front office is. This is what mm. management is. This is yeah. what like, you know what I mean? Like learning all these different departments and stuff. And so uh, I think there was a, a a moment where I thought, yeah, like I, I could go work for an NBA team if they would hire me. I don't know what I would do, but sure. I yeah. know I didn't want to write press releases about folks getting in <laughs> trouble all day long, you know, <laughs> and have to escort players to the media room when that's the last place they wanted to be yeah. um, at the time. Um, but yeah, man, I think it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, this is a crazy opportunity. How could I not do this? So now you have love for my Nets, which I know. and the Lakers because you're in LA and the Blazers soft spot. So, so let me kind of do, do let you, me back you in how like I got CC. here. CC has a lot of teams at once. It's okay, Jay. It's we're used to it on this let program. Me, <laughs> let me back into how I got here. Let me back into how yeah. I got here. I was a massive, massive Seattle Supersonics fan. I actually almost, I was going to wear my Sean Kemp jersey today, but then I didn't want to oh be disrespectful to Gary Pint, uh, Gary Payton. And then <laughs> I also was like, but Detlef Shrimp should get some love too. So I literally did not wear any of my, I have three Sonics jerseys and I didn't wear any of them. And I've been looking for a Nate Perkins one. Anyway. What um, made you a son? You didn't grow up there. Nowhere near Seattle, bro. I have no idea why I Where love you, the Sonics. Jay, you, you spent time in... You were born in South Carolina, right? I was right? born in South Carolina. My dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a ton. I mean, man. I went to 12 schools in 13 years. So I, I, I oh, you know, the closest thing I would probably have to, like, truly have to a home team are, we lived in Texas for a little bit, but we lived in Austin. So I'd be probably somewhere between Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston, right? Okay. Just because we lived in Austin. And then I went to high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, so... But we got the Oklahoma City Thunder, formerly the Seattle Supersonics, after I had already left and gone to college. Oh. So I kind of became a Thunder fan, which means I became a Kevin Durant fan. Got you. And, and that's right? why you're rooting for Brooklyn. Yes. So, this, so, so that's how I like, I will say, uh, 
I haven't loved all his teams, but that is how I ultimately <laughs> got to Brooklyn. Yes. Um, uh, and so that's why I'm really excited to watch them play uh, and, and, and very hopeful that they'll get to the finals this year. Me too, man. Me too. I like it. Okay. I, we got the... We have the origin story now. I can, and I can LA follow is it. like LA is like I'm here, man. It's yeah, the show. It's you know what I mean. It's the show. It's the glitz and the glam of it all. The history of it all. My parents live down next to the forum, so every weekend when I go see my parents, like I'm looking at a piece of NBA history. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like I think the Lakers for me are a team that I've always loved, and I, I could say this across sports in general. Like I don't find myself like a New England a New England Patriots fan by any means, or a Boston yeah. Celtics fan by any means. Like those just that's not those aren't my teams. But I've always appreciated like the history of an organization that has like been at the top of the of their particular sport for a given time. Yeah, and I think the Lakers for me are that. I know, what and, you mean. and I love the reinvention of the Lakers too. They they like this city, like this Hollywood, like making movies like this town that I'm in and this industry that I'm in, like they constantly remake themselves in a way too, that I think is so, uh, is a testament to the organization when it's in the right hands, because we've seen when it hasn't been in the right hands. <laughs> and and it does feel like it is now. I, um, it, it, there is something about the Lakers too. And I actually, I, with the NBA, it's weird. Cause I grew up a diehard Yankees fan, diehard New York mm-hmm. Giants fan. NBA, I bopped around and it was sort of player based for me. And there was a period of time where I was a massive Lakers fan because Kobe was my favorite player. Right. And I I used to like when they would be on TNT, I get so excited, like just, OK, I can watch the Lakers. And it was funny because it was standard definition. And at the beginning of Kobe's career, he and Eddie Jones had like very similar body types and in standard def with like number six and number eight both being kind of uh, close to get, you know, six and eight, looking the same, looking at standard death, you know, like I, I'd be like, wait, is that Eddie Jones? And if, if, if I saw Kobe or Eddie score, right, I would be, I get excited because I would just like keep all of Kobe's stats in my head. And then if I found out, oh shoot, it was actually Eddie who scored. I was so pissed. I'd be like, <laughs> oh man, like it, I didn't care that the Lakers had a bucket. I was like, no, that was supposed to be Kobe's too. Like, damn it, man. I, it's funny though, because like if you actually look at Kobe and Eddie Jones, they don't look alike at all. But at all. but in, stand, and but I in get standard you. death, when yeah. you're playing a similar position and it's number yeah. six and it's number eight, like yeah. you know, and and I'm a, I'm a young kid and it's you know ten thirty at night and I'm staying up to watch them. Like <laughs> it, it it can it can get a little tricky. You know, I want to I I just want to go I want to go back to Kyrie and Simmons for one second. Uh, yeah, Jay, because this is something. We were just talking about last night. The interesting thing to me is just to kind of put a bow on that thought in regard to a potential trade for, with either of them. There's an argument you can make that the best that both teams can do with their current situation is trading them for each other. But, <laughs> but because I wish funny, you could hear my head shaking through my microphone <laughs> and onto the podcast right now because my head is shaking but, so hard. I think I just got whiplash. Because here's the interesting thing. Here's the tough thing for the Nets with getting the news this week that it doesn't look like Eric Adams is actually going to revisit the mandates. And who knows, as COVID, you know, it becomes fully endemic, does that relax things to the point of where, you know, there is some sort of difference in the mandates? Who who knows what that ends up looking like? But at least he said he's not going to revisit the policy for now, right? If that's the case. And you're not, and he's just not going to play the whole year, and then he's a free agent. 
like that's a lot of uncertainty to get nothing back for and have that player taking up a huge portion of your salary cap and providing nothing for you. And I'm not sure that, you know, will the Nets definitive, will they win a championship if they don't do something with that asset this season, right? Like, do you need to get something for him? Does he need to be something that helps your team for this season? The best case scenario is him coming back at any point, right? I mean, you are definitively the championship favorites if he, and you're better than anything you get if Kyrie Irving comes and plays for you, whether that's December 1st, Jan 1st, Feb 1st, March 1st, right? Like, you're better, that's your best case scenario. But if that's just not on the table, you know, do you, do you wait because he's a free agent at the end of the year? Maybe things change and you'd still rather have him for the next four? Or do you, if you feel like you need to have something for him in order to win a championship this year, do you have to send him a place that he would go? Would he, would he go to the Sixers because, because he can still live in Jersey and commute to Philly and, and play? That's the one place he could. Right. But, but then I think he might be like unbelievable with the Sixers and Joel Embiid, and you may actually give Philadelphia the piece they need to beat you. You know, as and I actually think Simmons would be great with KD and and with Harden. But like, if you're the Nets, can you send Kai? Like, I don't know. Is Philly beating you right now as constructed? I don't know that they are. If they had Kyrie, I think they have a better chance. And so it's like this is, but you both organizations My may need been- to do something with those guys in order to have you know, in order to win this year. You're right. But I, I, I agree with this. I think there's two things. I think one, you're probably looking at like fatigue. If I'm in management mm-hmm. for Brooklyn, I'm fatigued. I'm tired. Yeah. Like we, we don't been through a lot in this very short time together. We have been through a lot. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I just, I need a break. So for me, yeah. Um, with that said, I don't know if I give him up to that team because I don't know that that does any favors for my championship hopes. Mm -hmm. And I also don't know that I am getting, and this is again, no disrespect, but I don't think I am getting a fair trade. Yeah. If you're with Simmons, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just purely in terms of on the court, I don't think I'm getting a fair trade. Right. I I, I agree with you. I don't, I no matter, but so but you're getting something. You're getting something as opposed to nothing, right? Yeah, I, you're right. I, you're getting but, something as but, opposed to nothing. Yeah. But this is why, dude. That's why this is like. Honestly, I have no conviction as to what the Nets should definitely do because their best option is still getting Kyrie on the floor. But I don't know how you make him do that. Like, well, you know, it, first of all, what's interesting is he could just get one shot. He doesn't even have to complete the vaccine series. But like, this dude is not someone who we really can get inside the head of, right? Like, Kyrie could show up tomorrow vaccinated and it wouldn't surprise me. He also could never play again if he has to get vaccinated and it wouldn't surprise me. And so that's why it's such an interesting situation because your best case scenario is still having him on the floor at any point. It's interesting, man. I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how long they they hold out. Like, it's a, it's a dance for both teams because they're balancing trying to win a championship this year versus also maybe having this player in the fold for many years, but not wanting to punt on the this year possibility. It's, right. it's obviously uncharted territory for, for, for both. And I just don't think there's like a definitive, I don't think there's a definitive answer. I really there don't. There really there isn't. isn't. So, and it, for both teams, we're literally mm-hmm. seeing something we've never seen before. 
exactly. for both for both te- for both of those teams, which is crazy. What stood out to you most sitting courtside watching? Because I saw those seats. I-, I figured a big star like you would be courtside. Is it to the point now, Jay, that if someone's like, you know, hey, uh, you want to come to the game? Do you have to be like, oh, you know, where where are those seats? Because you know, <laughs> I-, I I I have a brand to protect. Are we at that point yet? <laughs> I don't no man like if somebody if I'm gonna go I'm gonna go because I still love the game you know what I mean but I will what I will typically do is offer to get tickets if someone's like I already got them and and if they tell me where they are then I usually don't say anything if someone's like you want to go to the game and they don't specifically say that they have tickets which my friends are smart at this point like they know to just be like hey you want to go to the game and then I'll figure out tickets you know what I mean gotcha um because I, I would I would sit anywhere, man. You could put me. I, it's, depending on the arena, I've gotten to see a few of them. So depending on the arena, you could almost put me like in the three hundred level. Like you could almost put me anywhere. Good. Um, but yeah, I just love the game. So well, but we got, I prefer to be. I prefer to be close. You know? I, I bet. I bet you do. <laughs> you know, you sit courtside. You know well, what it is. It, it's so great being back courtside calling the games uh, this year because you know for a year and a half. Even when yeah. we were in the arena, we were high up, you know, oh, yeah. and just even yesterday there, and on, yes, we have like a very behind the curtain feel to the way we do the broadcast. I think it's part of the charm that has gotten us a lot of um, acclaim critically uh, across mm-hmm. our industry. Like our Nets on Yes broadcast has like when it comes to local broadcasts, uh, just like it has a really amazing reputation, which I give a ton of credit to. Our producer Frank DeGrace, who's as good a producer as any sports producer that's ever lived, um, and culture sets, and we have just amazing, talented people. But I think we also have this like we have this feel that I think Frank sets the tone for, where we let you behind the curtain. And so yesterday there was a moment on air where some there was an exchange that happened that I was able to catch because I was courtside, where Kevin Durant was given the basketball, he's about to inbound it, he is literally like about to inbound it. Scotty Barnes has just picked up his fourth foul. Toronto then realizes, oh shoot, Scotty Barnes picked up his fourth foul. They send someone to the scorer's table and the official takes the ball back from Durant. And Durant's like, whoa, 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 you can't, they were they were late. Like they had time, They you can't do that, whatever. But the official let the substitution happen. Steve Nash comes blurring up the scorer's table. Is like, you know, Brian, Brian, what are we doing? Brian Forte is the official. What, what are we doing here? What are we doing? On the way back down the floor, I see Brian like talking to Nash again. And Nash is like a very, like he just has a great way about him. He's like a very composed dude. And I, you know, I could glean that Brian was seeming to indicate like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have allowed that to happen, whatever. So I'm able to share that exchange. Our truck is so good that we roll back in the moment when Durant Mm -hmm. has the ball taken away from him. Um, And I even said, I was like, see, now this is the value of having us back courtside. Like, I don't catch any of that if I'm sitting up, you know, where we were. You know, it was a safety thing and whatnot, but there's such value. But so I ask you, having sat courtside in the JL seats, what was the thing that stood out most to you watching Lakers Blazers up close the other night? You know, I think you forget. I mean, you probably don't because you see it day in and day out. But like, you forget how fast the game moves. Mm. You know, I think there's that. I think also, you know, we're watching gladiators and I think I forget that too. Like I go to a gym six days a week. You know, I run five days a week. You know, I mean, I, I think I'm in pretty good shape. Oh, I've seen you shirtless and insecure. <laughs> 
And then I realized, like, oh, this was just TV muscles, man. Because these dudes, yo, Dwight Howard's uh, quad literally looks like he just got done doing a set of legs. Like, he, like yeah. he just got done doing a leg day. Like, at all times, his legs are, like, it's like flexed. just flexed. Yeah. Um, you know, Ru- Russ is the same thing. Russ looks like that through spandex. Like, his bicep through a sleeve literally looks like he just got done doing curls with Dwayne Johnson, like, at, <laughs> at, 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 in the No Bull Gym. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's just, it's it's insane how, how they're, they're gladiators. But then also, you know, one of the things that I think is, this is to your point, actually, is being that close, I think even, um, it lets you in even more so on players' IQ and how mm. smart so many of them are. Car- Carmelo did a few things. Dame did a few things. There were things that you watch these players do and you go, oh, these guys, yeah. they know they're going to get that call or they know they're going to get that step or they know they're going to get the shot off because or defensively. There's just all these little things that you you start to watch after a while. And maybe that's because I played or I, maybe it's because I love the sport. I don't know. But there's these things that you see when you're that close and you even hear them say sometimes that make you realize just like their IQs are out of the gym. Like they're, they, they literally are brilliant. They're, they're savants at the thing that they do. Like, don't yeah. just think they're pure athletes. Yes. They are, but then there's so much more than that. And, and not that I ever thought it wasn't, but it's m- way more than I ever thought it actually was, than what it was. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. actual savants on the court. There, there's, yeah, it's reinforcement of that. And yeah. it is amazing. There's things like that. Like, yesterday, just hearing Durant, and, you know, Durant and Harden, they just love hooping so much. And, hearing little exchanges with them and, and, you know, Harden was a little hesitant. He, he's been kind of getting his confidence back in his, after his hamstring injury last year and whatever, he was a little hesitant to attack, attack. And the second half he started to, and like Durant, like one of the first times he attacked at the end of the first half, Durant pulling him aside and being like, every time I need you to do that. Every, you could do that every time, yeah. you know, like, and just like seeing, seeing that and like the, the attacking and the matchups and the investment, it's awesome, man. It, Blake Griffin's a guy who, watching him courtside yesterday again was another. He's to your point about intelligence. There's so many little things he does that I'm just like, this guy is so smart. Like he is, he's so smart, and I love observing that uh, up close because they're you know, they're just obsessed with their craft, and and I yeah, love man. people who are obsessed with their craft. I got to ask you about insecure last night, Jay, Ew. Uh, because I. So for those who haven't watched episode three yet of the final season of Insecure, uh, this is the portion of the podcast where you tune out until you have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But so, all right, Jay, Lawrence, Lawrence had a baby and a baby. Lawrence had a baby. Um, And um, well, yeah, well, I mean, he, he didn't actually give birth, but you know, and he found out a little late, but yeah, 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 yeah. a little late, found out a little late. It's interesting because there's there's so much about this episode that felt so real. Like I thought it was just an amazing episode and obviously being with my partner situation is different than what Lawrence and Condola are going through right with right. with raising uh Elijah. Um but there's so much still about like those beginning days that hit so close to home having a 2-month-old. I know yeah. you have a young daughter as well, so I'm sure there was so Two much years realness. old today. Two, two years, years old. old. Happy birthday, Nora. Yeah, two years bro. old. Oh, two years so, ago today, man. That's so crazy. What? Um, as you're going through it, 
Like even like at the the scene at the doctor's office where, you know, Elijah's lost some weight because all babies do in that first, mm. you know, two weeks after uh after, you know, they're born. But and and Lawrence is like, is everything all right? Is there something wrong with the breast milk? Like how real did it feel going through all these scenes, like having just been through this over the last two years, as far as, you know, not not the partner dynamics, but just the having a baby dynamic? Yeah, you know, it's wild. I don't know. I, I mean, I can say to a certain extent, I know this wasn't intended because Lawrence was never supposed to make it past season one, right? Um, so... Which I didn't find out until season three. When they finally they were like, you know, you wasn't really. We didn't really. We weren't. We didn't have plans to use Lawrence after season one. And I was like, really? wait, what? Because I feel like I'm Jon Snow. I feel like you need me <laughs> to the end. Like you need you need to know the yeah. North is coming. Yeah. Uh, but uh, th- so I, I can say that like this wasn't intended. You know, at least going back that far, right? But then once we get to seasons two or three, and once they started really think rethinking the story and it evolved in different ways, you know, I don't, I don't know if they kind of, uh, I'm sure there was some thought about this, like you know, what would Lawrence be like as a father, and what does that mean, and and you know, what are the complications and the frustrations and all those things. What I, what I am 99% positive of is they didn't know that I was on track to have a kid at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so was Christina, uh, who plays, who oh, plays really? Condola. Yeah. Oh so Christina gosh, Elmore has two baby boys and her second boy was born a month before we started this episode, six, five weeks before we started this episode, her second baby was born. Oh my gosh. That's too perfect. Yeah. So, you know, it was a blessing to be able to have that experience, to be honest with you, because we get to sit down and talk about, to your point, all those frustrating things that like, you know, I, I remember, uh, I remember the doctors telling us like, oh, the baby always loses weight in the first couple of days or in the first week. Like, don't worry about it. And I remember still going to the pediatrician like, hey, why my baby so skinny? Like, what, what's happening? Like, what are y'all doing? You're like, yeah. tell me right now, what do we need to do? Um, and it was just all right there. A lot of it was at the fingertips, especially with the baby stuff. Like mm. a lot of it was right at the fingertips. And and that is just something that like, I would never say that someone who doesn't have a child can't play those moments. Cause I don't believe that. Like, that's my job. Like we are supposed to figure that out. But I do think it is uh, a hell of a help to have had gone through it to your point and, and had those nights where you don't sleep and had mm-hmm. those nights where like, you know, you travel, you travel yeah. nonstop for work. Yeah. You miss your kid. You miss yes. the smell of your baby. You miss, you know what I mean? And, yes. and, you know, you get on the phone and, you know, your girl is going through it and you're like, I, w- I wish I could be there to help you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'm off doing this thing. And, and, and so having all that at the fingertips, I think was, was very helpful. And then, you know, with Christina being able to sit down and talk about like, again like all those moments when you're exhausted and you've barely slept and the baby won't stop crying and you don't know why the baby won't stop crying and then you think you can soothe the baby better than i can soothe the baby but we're doing the exact same thing so are you really better at doing it than me just because i'm a dad don't mean i'm not good you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. all these little things that i think we really got to like play with and really dive into and and ava who directed this episode was becoming a parent a few months after so ava in a lot of ways was exploring and hopefully you know her and her partner you know Ava Ava and their partner got to work through uh, a lot of what it meant to be new parents through through Lawrence and, and Condola but it was just it was it was amazing man it was such an amazing experience um, and I'm grateful that like this show 
that is about Issa and Molly at the end of the day. It's about these, you know, these two black girls in LA. I'm glad that like Issa and Prentice and our writers made the space to tell this story because we never see fatherhood from this perspective. We rarely, I don't actually, I don't know if we've ever seen fatherhood from this perspective. It was great. It, it was great. By the way, that episode is, you submit the clips for, for your Emmy reel from that episode, man. You were terrific. It, because even, you know, even the 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 frustration and that balance of like, you know, I'm not trying to get upset, like, but I need to have a role here. But I also kind of know that like, I'm not the decider but like should i just be okay with you deciding everything like you you know and and i'm and okay i i should i uproot my life again this wasn't again. really my path you know like it you really it's it's really interesting man it just it felt so real and the you know in the challenge of you know first and foremost anyone who has a newborn you know yeah. anybody who has to deal with um you know even if the partners are together, the the travel aspect or whatever, but then especially, you know, nailing that part of the difficult dance of two people who aren't together, but do want to make it work and are trying to co-parent. And I just thought it was like one of the realest depictions I could see of that. And of course, you guys end the episode with the, okay, this isn't working. Like, yeah. so... You know what else I want to do? I want to give a shout out to Jason Liu who wrote that episode because Jason yeah. Liu's baby is a little bit younger than my daughter. Um, and he wrote that episode, actually. Um, so we had a lot of experience. <laughs> we had a lot, a lot of experience. Of a lot of intel, a lot of experience being put in there. But to your point, the end of that episode, I think, um, was really powerful. You know? What? Yeah. Like, what? I mean, I can't, a you, I can't ask you what happens next. How do you resolve this, Jay? But what what can you like when you're getting when it's a final season yeah. and you're kind of learning what's going to happen with this character that you presumably have become attached to when you play them yeah. for as long as you have and the show's as popular as it is like how opinionated do you get about the journey of your character or is it just this is what the character is doing and I just have to figure out how to play it best like how attached do you get to the way things are going to resolve for what is a pretend person, but a, but a, but a person nonetheless that people really, you know, connect to, right? Lawrence Hive for a reason. Yeah. You know, I am an actor first and mm -hmm. foremost, like that's my job. And like what I love doing is taking words on a page that someone poured blood, sweat, and tears to and argued with, you know, other writers and executives and another executive and, you know, finally got that script greenlit to go. Like, I love taking that, those words and, and giving them life. And then, you know, finding the space in between those lines, you know, metaphor, literally, literally and metaphorically, like using the white space between the dialogue to like infuse life. Right. And, and thoughts and questions and you know i have never this is interesting i i have never i've had my opinion on like what i think lauren should and shouldn't do mm -hmm. but i've never once gone to our writers with that because i i you know there is this hierarchy in in television where like it's it's the writer's thing like they created it it's their show it's their vision 
you know, and this is the story that they want to be telling. And I think I am always trying to be respectful of that. And I love that. And I appreciate that. Like, I love writers. When you have good writing, like we have phenomenal writers on this show. And I hope every single one of them goes on to like win awards and do the shows that they want to do and tell the stories they want to tell because they are so amazing. But what we also have is writers who are really, really talented, but also don't have an ego that gets in the way of you asking questions. Right. And and trying to collaborate together and find things together, especially if there's an experience that you've had that relates in a certain way. And you're like, oh, I know this because I did this or went through this. And so I think I've never really tried to to steer where my character is going. Um, I've always been very, you know, at the end of the day, I always think like this is Issa's story and this is Issa's vision. And like my job, I felt the best way that I could serve Issa, who gave me a job was to serve like to to do the right to do what was written and to like my job is to like go home and find all the different ways that any piece of dialogue could be approached to from an organic way and then i get to go on set and in this very safe place try all of those things and see what works and sometimes those things do inform future episodes and future writing right? Because of the way you ended up delivering something or how they chose to cut how you delivered something. But never was there a thought for me to try to force where Lawrence was going. When you're like going, when, when you're preparing for an episode, what, what does that look like? Like, it, in other words, like there are things you're doing right to sharpen your skills or to you know, prepare to be on, but then there's also like talent, which you clearly have. What I've never really understood, and I've asked. It's funny. I've asked. I've asked our our uh, mutual friend Jesse Soffer this question before as well. Jesse's uh, regular mm-hmm. on Chicago PD. Um, like, what do you do to to continue to get better and like sharpen your skills? Is it just reps? Is it just like when you do episodes, it just happens, or are there things you do away from set that also prepare you for episodes like what you had for episode three of this final season of Insecure? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I tell people like I I think part of this part of part of my job is just at bats. And sooner or later you're going to connect. If you get as long as you can just get up there, sooner or later as long as you can get to home plate and actually get a few at bats, like sooner or later you're going to connect, right? Mm. Especially with auditioning. Like I really yeah. believe that about auditioning. It's a muscle, it's a very weird thing. It's not really really acting. It's not what we do when we get to work. It's its own like beast and i truly believe that's just about like yo if you bat if you bat in the high twos you doing all right you know what i mean if you bat in yeah. the low threes you a goat you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. and, and 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 that's just reality like i truly believe that i say that all the time about auditioning on set going to work every day is completely different right because now you're balancing like your personal life your home life driving back and forth to work um other other scripts you may be reading, you're balancing all these other things. But I think for me, I always, I prepare very, I mean, I prepare everything almost the exact same way. I get a script, I read it. Um, I, I, I try to read before I go to bed because I find that that helps me remember a little bit more and keep mm-hmm. it in my brain a little bit more. And sometimes it may even influence dreams in a way, I think. Weird. Uh, I think in a way sometimes. Um, so I, that's one thing that I almost always do. I write all my scripts literally like we're inside a pyramid and there's hieroglyphs everywhere. Like I write, (laughs) I use 
three or four different color pens on my scripts. I write notes to myself. I write questions to myself. I write physical things that I may want to try. I write, you know, I, I highlight all of my, you know, stage direction in a, in a particular thing. I literally, and so I'll read a script one time through and like write questions or thoughts in black. Uh, and then I will go back and do it again in green. And then I'll go back and do it again in blue. And I'll go back and do it in red. And for me, I, what I'm trying to do each time is take a different lens to every, every single read. I'm trying to think about, you know, what are my own thoughts and why am I getting here? I'm trying to think about why would this person say these things to me, right? And what have I done? And then I'm thinking about given circumstance, I'm given about our past and our relationship and where we were maybe a month ago, right? I'm thinking, I'm trying to think about all of these things when I prepare. And so it is, I do kind of go into a hole a little bit um, and, you, and find quiet like you, space. It sounds like, like, do you see that's to me, that's, that's mastering your craft, right? Like you, you're, I, I mean, obviously anybody who just hears the way you describe that, that's an incredible investment in the craft, right? That's not taking your right. talent for granted. Do you, do you love, do you love acting? Oh, or do you love being great at acting or is it both? Like, is it, are you driven by that, that feeling of like, damn, like I know I nailed it and now I'm getting, I'm getting the attaboys for it. Right. Like I've never had or, a, I've never had a, I know I nailed it feeling. Never? Never. You've never had like a, a scene, a moment. Is there but, so but now, I think that I think that for me is because I don't because I believe in I, I am so much a like a person of growth and like learning and questions that like I honestly don't want to believe that I've ever mastered something because in my in my mind, like once I've mastered it, then I should move on. But does and it provide I, but within the performances, because I, I, you know, part of why I love play by play. Right. It, it reminds me of when I used to be in plays when I was a kid and there was this performance high that you yeah. would get like during it. Um, and if I, if there's a great game and I know I was on it and I'm like, oh, I nailed that. Like it provides me this very unique rush and jolt and burst and like energy that it's just, it's, it's really hard to duplicate. Um, and I kind of only get it in that, in that space. There are other amazing, fulfilling things, you know, in my life that provide different ways of filling my cup, but this is just a very unique one. Do do you get a. Is there a high, even if you, if, even if you don't have a feeling like, oh, I nailed that, is there a high you get from performing when it's a little different than like theater, right? Because it's, it's a little more like stop down, go, stop down, go. Is there a high when you are done shooting something? I mean, there's an exhaustion when you're done shooting something <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I think, you know, I think about like that episode last night, which I've only seen half of that episode. I couldn't even watch the whole episode. Like really? I, yeah, I couldn't Why? watch the whole episode. I just, I have a hard time watching myself. I, I, I watch from a learning perspective. A lot of times I watch, 
I don't watch and I'm not, I think it's because I don't watch and I'm being entertained watching myself. I'm watching myself going, ah, I could have made this choice. Oh, oh, yeah. I should have thought about that. Oh man, why didn't I see, why didn't I react when she lifted her hand? Or why did I, you know what I mean? Like there are things that I'm watching, I'm going, oh, I could have made that better. For me, it's like watching game tape. I think, and that's probably what it is. It's probably from being an athlete. I watch it and look at it as game tape. And I don't think any, any athlete ever wants to watch their worst game over and over and over again. And not that any of them are my worst game, but like I watch them and go, man, these are all the ways I could have I could have been thinking about or should have been thinking about this or tried this or tried that. I I don't know that I walk away with a high. I walk away, you know, I think about that fight scene in the kitchen from that episode. Mm-hmm. Um and which I I didn't I haven't watched yet. It was great. Um, you should watch it. It was terrific. I, I, I haven't watched. I, I'm terrified to watch it to be honest. But I I I think about that and I think about the feeling after that scene and I was just tired. Like I was, Mm. I was, I was also in a, in a bad place, I think, because, and not in a bad place where like I couldn't get out of it, like within an hour or half an hour or whatever. But like, you know, I want to wear those feelings. Like I want to be in that moment. And like, you know, you walk away from that scene and like, you should not smile for a minute. Like you should be a little bit upset. If I'm doing, I feel like if I'm in something, then I am probably, I, I definitely have like the energy or the vibe of whatever I just did. I'm probably carrying that with me f- for a little bit. You know, again, yeah. by the time I get in the car and drive home, usually it's like by the time in my drive is where it disappears, right? And then I got my music on, I'm listening to, you know, I'm listening to UNCC or I'm or whatever it is. And like that is where I then kind of go and like all that stuff fades away and I just become Jay again. But up until then, like, I don't know that I get the high because I, I, I'm trying to just be in it. And I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be locked in this conversation with this other actor in this given moment and then take a note and figure out what that means and then go back and try it. And then, and you know, sometimes I get in the car and I'm like, damn, I wanted to try that and I forgot to do it. Or man, I should have done that. Like sometimes I get in the car and I do that too. Yeah. Dude, this is fascinating. We have to let you run. But Jay, I, um, I think we're going to need a part two sometime soon. Uh, <laughs> Because there's a million different avenues just off this conversation I want to take that I just I haven't even ever really asked. I've asked you, you know, I've asked you all this stuff like, what's it like shooting a million sex scenes with a bunch of people right, around you? Of right. course, I've asked those typical right. questions. Yes. Right. But I but I, ha- I there's a lot of stuff within the nuances. It's of really like a party, that- just so everybody knows. It's just a party. <laughs> I mean, we're just it's just everyone's just like there's streamers and there's like champagne <laughs> bottles with like, you know, the sparklers. And it's just amazing. It's so fun. It's yeah. it's, it's a great time. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Um, but so I think we're going to have to do it again, man, because uh, this was this this time went too quick. But I so appreciate you. Uh, you, you stepping too, in for CC and, and hanging out on R2C2, man. Happy birthday to Nora. Thank and you, um, and uh um, you know, we're excited for the rest of Insecure, available now on HBO Max, HBO. Uh, new episodes every Sunday for the final season and Top Gun coming out. So at some point, maybe at the end of this season, Jay, or maybe sooner, uh, we're going to have to get you back on and, and uh, maybe we'll nine, let CC be a part of it. Episode nine, bro. I'm just telling you right now. Oh, really? Now. Uh-oh. Okay. Episode nine. So it's, right. another, it's another rough one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're at three. So in six weeks, buckle up is what Jay's buckle saying. Buckle up, man. It's buckle. the week before Christmas. We, fi- You know, we finale on December 26th. So it's the week before oh, Christmas. Wow. Okay. Yeah, man. Uh, it's going to be a... It's gonna be a wild season. I'm I'm really excited for folks to to tune in and watch this season because this is 
this is what it was all for. This is what the last four seasons have really been for and all this this growth and the ups and downs. And, you know, I'm grateful. I mean, you know I love you and CC, and I'm grateful that you guys have enjoyed this show and still stay friends of mine uh, even <laughs> after all of this. <laughs> and, we, and we always will. Jay, Jay, thank you, man. Yeah, bro. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, that was great with Jay. Wasn't he awesome? Jay's so good. Uh, we need to get Jay back soon to dive deeper into what happens with Insecure and then also to tee up Top Gun. It's a million questions. I've asked Jay all these questions about Top Gun because, you know, they actually have to, like, learn. You know, they have to get, like, certain pilot licenses and they're actually in the planes with these, you know, Air Force pilots. It's an incredibly ridiculous, um, intense process uh, that they go through to shoot the movie plus Tom Cruise. Jay's got such amazing stories. Uh, so we will definitely have Jay on again soon. Uh, but big thanks to Jay. You guys know the deal. New episodes um, every Thursday. So you will get a Thursday episode as well. And bonus episodes also. We, we've been giving you the two a week. So this is one of them. And a huge shout out and thank you as always to our outstanding producers, Bobby Wagner and Sadie Zillow. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, at R2C2. Uh, and make sure you're telling everybody you know uh, about our pod because that's how the word spreads. All right, everybody. Peace. <laughs>